and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast, coming to you from us chaps here at O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm delighted, as always, to be joined by my oldest friend, Chris Dow. HMV Revenue and Customs. And we are discussing video games. Announcement! Announcement! Why not head over to o3c.game slash support and have a look at the ways you can help keep this ruddy busted rusted car on the road. A regular Patreon subscription is a superb way to do that. A few pounds a month in return for a metric dick wrench of perks, including a suite of bonus episodes and deleted scenes and outtakes and uncut video versions of the episodes, bonus video content and access to the Discord server. A one-off PayPal donation, if the thought of our grubby, needy little faces is too much to bear on a regular basis, just chuck us a lump sum to say thanks, well done, have a coffee, have a beer, buy a game on me. That, I mean, that would be lovely. Yeah. If money's not your bag and you think that money doesn't solve any problems, number one, you're wrong. But two, please just consider sharing the podcast on your social media platforms. Leave us a review and a rating on your podcast app of choice and help bring some new listeners in. We much appreciate Bon. So we're back, and we are back with a play date. I am really excited to chat all things play date with you today. And you know what? You know what? Let's just bloody start, because I've played nothing but play date stuff in the last week. Really? Literally nothing but playing on my play date. It's been absolutely fantastic. But I tell you what, why don't you kick us off? Tell us what you've been playing in this last week. Then we'll just hit the ground with like 400 straight minutes of play date chat. So get this shit out of the way. (laughs) It's been one of those weeks that I was off. I'm back at work now, but I was off. Georgia was off at the same time. And because of that, it often feels like you need to do things together. So if I was playing games, it tended to be stuff that we could either play in co-op mode or stuff that I could play on the TV while she was playing The Sims and something you could kind of share together. So the play date is actually something I haven't touched that much this week outside of doing my due diligence to play our two games. So first things first, Canon on the Evercade, completed it, it's done, finished, did it. All in all, probably took 25 hours to beat. Bloody hell. And I genuinely enjoyed almost all of my time with the game. I never managed to catch up with the story at all, (laughs) to the point where two characters I've been controlling since the very start of the game blindsided me by announcing well with our work here done i guess we'll go back to heaven in the postscript (laughs) despite me having never realized they were supposed to even be celestial beings (laughs) but the plot was enough at least to give me some exciting set pieces and locations to play through the final boss was a classic i'm dead but not really sort of double bluff as in lots of rpgs you love to see it oh you don't (laughs) it was a bit galling seeing as the battle had already gone on for 40 minutes at that point But I had my strategy locked, and so it wasn't that much of an ask to beat it all. I think I'd like to play more games in this vein. I've thought about going back to Digimon Survive, Minty's favourite game, when school settles down a bit. As for the few hours I did play of that way back, it seems like it would work well for a strategy RPG heathen like me. Because it wasn't super complex in its battle systems. And... To be honest, the Digimon Moonspeak can't be that much more difficult to follow than a broken English Taiwanese language translation <laughs> of canon. So I might actually end up more invested in Digimon Survive than I was with, with that game as well. Next up this week was a genuine co-op game. It was the spiritual follow-up to Brothers and A Way Out called It Takes Two. Oh, yes. And this is the third game in the thematically linked Joseph Fares forced co-op trilogy, I guess you could call it. And a few hours in, I think it's the best so far. I've played all of these games with Georgia in tow now, and it's been interesting to go from Brothers, where co-op was pretty much optional. It only works if you're sharing a controller, because it's played on one pad, but it feels good to do together, to a way out which has four split screen throughout, but still frequently has quite separate gameplay. So Mm. you are working together, but you're sort of doing your own thing. Two, it takes two. And this game really pulls out all the stops to make sure that both players are always engaged, And crucially, for the three or so hours we've played so far, always engaged in distinct but complementary activities. Like, you have to do it together to make progress. The story revolves around a couple struggling with their relationship and planning a divorce, who are transformed into two of their daughter's dolls by the magic of her upset and tears. It's all a bit C-tier Pixar Mm. in its writing and storytelling. But the real treat is just the gameplay itself, which morphs 
really fluidly between third person genres like platforming spatial puzzle solving shooting who knows what else you know multiple times a chapter and something you'll enjoy because you're a tiny wee the game really goes to town making you kind of hop around locations of the house and garden but as little micro people i love it meaning that suddenly hoover can be a big anthropomorphic boss or wasps can suddenly be a collective malevolent force it's a bit Rayman 2 in its controls, I think. It's got nicely floaty jumps and quite rubbery animation, which is nice to look at. It's a bit Conker's Bad Fur Day in the way that all these everyday items are given voices and googly <laughs> eyes, but also in the way that it is a linear chapter-based adventure instead of a more kind of open world in its stages. The package as a whole, though, is a lot of fun. Really, really enjoying it. We've been playing on the Switch, and although it likely looks a lot nicer on bigger, better platforms, it's still a really good time wherever you pick it up like a way out before it if you buy a copy you can then host a kind of over the web game for free with anyone so you don't have to have a local co-op buddy to play as long as you have a long distance Mm. one who will put in your little game pin you're still sorted so i think it's better to play in the room together but that's not the only way and i guess that's quite a nice concession to make yeah my only criticism so far really after the few hours we've played is that to force co-op play is one thing But in committing to that as your USP, I think you need to build in good accessibility options to ensure both players will always have fun. Mm. You know, I'm not great at games, but I've been playing a range of games for over 30 years at this point. So I'm pretty au fait with how things work. And as much as Georgia has always enjoyed the odd game and obviously loves The Sims, she's still not as confident with like dual stick controls under pressure or reflex based actions and stuff like that. And I think a toggle that sort of maybe pads auto-aim a bit or makes platforming a little bit stickier and more forgiving would level the playing field enough to keep both parties rolling along, no matter your skill level. And I think that'd be a better way to serve up this sort of game. It's good though. Recommend it. The other game I've managed to put a lot of time into this week is something that I was playing before and that I dropped for a good while, but I've been very, very happy to return to forza horizon 4 oh tasty has it had an update it has now last time i brought this game up it was when i had basically down tools trying to play it on the steam deck due to a crashing bug that we'd hit without warning after around 15 or 20 minutes of play never made any sense because the game ran fine and then you'd go to load the map or you'd go to start an event or you'd go to change a car and it would just freeze and crash at that time i installed it on my laptop and i thought that's that this is where (laughs) i'm going to play the game that's fine But it's not the same. It just isn't the same. And even though it ran better, it looked nicer. I just really miss the choice of being able to play sat in bed on the handheld or on the TV via the dock at a moment's notice. Then, like you mentioned, out of nowhere, Horizon 4 just got an update this week to address a different incompatibility with certain NVIDIA graphics cards, which doesn't affect the Steam Deck at all. But would you believe it? This fix appears to also sort the Steam Deck bug as well. Amazing. Meaning that I've been able to play several sessions of over an hour without issue since reinstalling. I won't say with confidence that the bug is completely gone, as it's a game of so many variables, I still feel there's a chance opening the map or trying to access an online event will just hard crash the game whenever I play. But so far, I've been safe, and I'm having a wonderful, wonderful time. I can't quite believe how this game has rocketed up in my estimation, as it has since starting to play it. I remember when I first brought it up on the podcast, despite your rave review, Mm. I was very much of the opinion that it's fine. You drive Mm. around, it's fine. But now Steam says I've played for 30 hours total. Yeah. I know a lot of this will be a cumulative clocking of crashes. (laughs) But with every passing hour of genuine play, I just find more and more and more to love. Like I'm still a little cold on the live service seasonal stuff and the reliance on kind of pushing you to play online battle royale races or tag events or whatever. But the game itself consistently delivers at least one moment every time I play it that makes me sit back and go, fucking hell. And it's it's all those little snippets that are fast making this the driving game for me. Like not racing game strictly, because competition isn't always what I'm after when I pick it up. But it's a proper driving playground where I can crest a rolling hill at sunrise or pass under a humongous viaduct as a steam train sails over the top during a snowstorm. It's perfect. It's so good. So, touch wood, the game is now pretty much Steam Deck compatible outside of the odd little quirk. So, if you've ever been unsure about it, and you've got a Steam Deck, and you think, oh, I'd quite like to play that, it could well be the time to pick it up next time it's on sale, because there is so much game here. There is so much good game here. And even with the occasional crash, if they do come back, it's a 10 out of 10 game. It's it's a wonderful thing. 
So, as I said, I've been playing a lot of my Playdate in this last week, and I've been having a fantastic mm, time. Mm, mm, mm. Now, I'm going to pick up, actually, on a note that we spoke about briefly in the last Playdate update, about where we were just thinking about how this console is going to work for us individually going forward after playing through a season of games. Yeah. So, I decided to go through and clear out some of the games off my system that I'd either played and completed or played and wasn't going to come back to or some side-loaded games that you know just didn't really interest me yeah and i was quite brutal with it mostly because of how infuriating it is to scroll through your list of games so i wanted to get rid of as many as possible (laughs) and i was surprised at, at the games that i chose to keep on there and ones that i was actually just quite happy to offload like Casual Birder, which was a game that I really enjoyed early on, and Crankin's Time Travel Adventure. I know I'm not going to go back and fully complete them, and I wasn't massively interested in replaying them. But interestingly, like the games that were cast iron, easy retains, were the more puzzle-based games. And those don't even tend to use the crank or anything specific to the Playdate hardware. So things like Slitherlink and Tapeworm, both of which are games that exist on other things they're absolutely staying on there yeah zipper whilst it does implement the crank really really well its functionality would work just the same if it was mapped to a button on another piece of hardware games that had stages that i could come back to and know where i was at that i'd want to maybe slowly chip away at that's another thing that i want to have on there so even stuff like star sled which is more of an arcadey game I really wanted to be able to clear all the stages in that game so it's staying on there whilst hyper meteor yeah. being just a sky Hawk, a sky horse chaser a high score chaser was very quickly and easily deleted <laughs> and i've also been thinking about what we discussed before about like where the play date fits in terms of scratching certain gaming itches that maybe the switch or the steam deck or the ps5 or even the evercade doesn't and it struck me this while i was playing a bit of something whilst i was walking around the garden with my dog that this could be the console I play in the summer outside. Yeah. Because the reflective screen is, if anything, blindingly bright in the harsh sunlight to the point where you could comfortably play it with sunglasses on. (laughs) And it made me really yearn for something nice and summery to play whilst I kick back in the garden when the weather gets a bit brighter and warmer. I'm really looking forward to doing that. I really like the idea of this being a console that not only has seasonal delivery of games... But that you might only play in a certain season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what does a winter's console look like in comparison? If this is a summary machine, how do you foresee a piece of hardware that is tailored to the winter? Uh, probably the Steam Deck, because it generates a lot of extra warmth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One game that I did go back to and actually complete was Saturday Edition. Oh, don't spoil it for me. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not going to give any story spoilers away, but I will say that it was incredible. I'm still utterly blown away by the atmosphere. The game creates a real, genuine mini masterpiece of a game. Like, absolutely outstanding. I gave myself a real treat and decided to play the final section of the game with my Pulse 3D headphones plugged in for, like, maximum experience. And it was incredible. Yeah. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Although, it's a weird thing to say about Playdate game in the season of games, because obviously recommending a game in the season means very little, because you need to have a Playdate to play the game, and if you have a Playdate, you have the game. So, just play it and (laughs) experience it, and then talk about how great it is, and maybe we'll see it ported across to another platform, because it is just absolutely outstanding. Deleted now, of course. (laughs) Brute. (laughs) But I did want to touch on two new side-loaded games that I've been enjoying an enormous amount on the Playdate. And the first of which is an unofficial port of the downscaled version of the superb puzzle platform game Celeste. Oh, yeah. Is it any good? Does it work? I'll tell you now. Fans of the original Celeste may have unlocked or seen a version of the game called Celeste Classic which is a game within a game. It's Celeste reimagined basically as like an 8-bit Game Gear game. It's very similar in setup to the full Celeste game, where it involves jumping and dashing in midair to navigate increasingly harder platforms and obstacles. You try and collect some strawberries as you go. 
And uh, this 8-bit version of Celeste that is in the game as an unlockable is just a really nice little bonus because it, it filters the basic gameplay down to its barest essentials for just some incredibly tight and very specifically designed platforming levels. I think the story here is that somebody thought that there was no reason why this version of the game couldn't run on the play date and they ported it across to the one bit display and it's not an official release it's not an official porting job so it's, it's a free download but they've absolutely nailed it like it is admittedly a bit fiddly to play on the play date given just the close proximity of the buttons it can get a little bit frustrating but it absolutely works and it's a really good fit for the play date that just short burst action it's really good fun i've been playing a lot of it and i plan on playing it to completion because it's a challenge and one that i want to complete so yeah if you're into side loading games on your play date like definitely definitely check it out i think it's fascinating that sort of project to take something that was not intended for the play date we haven't had many outrageous ports no. i guess so far you know there's the odd kind of developer who said oh i wonder if i can do pac-man and it's like yeah of course you can <laughs> you can make that work that's not a difficult challenge really but for something like Celeste, which is a modern indie game, you know, as much as this is a, a downscaled version of it, to make that function on the play date with all of its kind of limitations, I think is really fascinating. Mm. I don't know the initial game well enough to really be able to say, oh, this works brilliantly if I was to pick it up. But with your review and knowing how much you enjoyed Celeste as a, as a game, as a product, I think I should give it a go. The other game that I sideloaded was a new game from two developers working together squid god and dave makes oh. which is a game called core fault i know this one so i bought it and sideloaded it mere days before it ended up being added to the official playdate catalog but it's one i'd had my eye on for a little while squid god always uploads these fantastic development videos for the games he makes i'd seen the development of core fault because it basically started as his attempt to make a vampire survivors game on the playdate yeah and Partway through the development where he started to struggle with a few elements, he decided to reach out to Dave Makes to come in and help him. And Dave Makes is the developer who made Mixalumia, one of Chris's favourite puzzle games. I love it. And they also developed Executive Golf DX, which featured in the first season of The Playdate. Hate it. It's a bit of a stinker. <laughs> it's a bit of a stinker. But it was so fascinating getting that insight into how game development works on this sort of macro level because obviously the limitations of the play date are so severe that it, it makes just for some incredible creative problem solving and i really loved seeing the obstacles they came up against and how they went about approaching solutions and workarounds especially when they've actually reached a really successful end product so core fault is a vampire survivors alike game and it sees you take control of a little droid digging through levels of a planet mining ore, which you use to upgrade various things. There are alien enemies flocking towards you. You have to fend them off with auto-attacking weapons whilst you try and mine as much ore as possible through progressively harder levels until you die or your 10-minute droid battery runs out. <laughs> It's very much a bare-bones version of Vampire Survivors. They've capped the amount of weapons you can have at one time at three, so you don't get the absurd stacking synergies of Vampire Survivors that would absolutely make the playdate blow up. Uh, <laughs> and you can add passive upgrades to your build every other level you get through. So like the way it works is you spawn on the first floor, you try and find a couple of bits of ore to mine that are on that floor, you kill a few aliens to get your XP up. When your XP then sort of hits the top of your meter, you then mine down to the next level. You pick an upgrade and you go again. And there will be more and more ore to find and mine on each floor you go down to and there will be more and more aggressive and powerful enemies to fend off too. And the type of upgrades you get alternates between floors. So when you finish the first floor, you get to pick a passive upgrade, like a damage buff or a speed boost or whatever. And then every other floor, you get to pick from a selection of weapons then to add to your build. And then between runs, you get to spend your ore in the workshop to upgrade all of the different mechanics and characteristics of your droid and upgrade all of your weapons. So you can make them harder and faster and the weapons more powerful, which then allows you to mine quicker and get more ore and dig lower and lower and yeah rinse and repeat your droid automatically moves forward and the weapons automatically attack in a variety of different ways so all you need to do is use the crank to rotate your little bot to avoid danger and you know try and sort of direct attacks where you can it's very very simple but it is really really good fun 
it boils down that dopamine hit you get from vampire survivors into its purest form giving you just a little buzz and a little boost every time you basically do anything in the game whether that's like mining to a new lowest floor getting an extra or seeing a new alien getting a weapon upgrade upgrading your build getting the right combination of weapons for your taste every single aspect of the game makes you want to play just one more run and because the runs are only a maximum of 10 minutes it's so so easy to just keep playing and keep playing and keep playing and before i knew it i'd completed it and upgraded all the aspects of my droid and it was so nice i bought it twice so i also have since now bought it in the catalog (laughs) because as i understand it those games automatically stay updated yes Uh, and and i wanted that as opposed to sort of having to manually go through that process with a sideloader game now unfortunately the version that you buy on the catalog actually comes with quite a severe bug so if you are thinking of getting it don't because it will actually erase all of the data on your play date not only for that game but basically for every no i'm just kidding you know (laughs) during this conversation i've just purchased it via the catalog so thank you jonathan dunn for giving my heart a little flutter just for a moment where it was like not only have i spent six dollars plus sales tax cranking away happily whilst you've been talking you cunt There are a few little things that became apparent in my second playthrough of the game. And that is that once you've played through it and you know how the game works and you know kind of what are the most useful things to upgrade for your droid, you can really just focus just on them. Yeah. Basically, I decided essentially to try and speed run my way through the game to 100%. And I did it very, very quickly because all I needed to do is upgrade basically just two aspects of my droid and i did that very very quickly and can just plonk him down in the corner and he'll just farm more for 10 minutes and you can just go and do something else you come back and you've got like 160 170 or sprinkle it through your upgrades do that a few times everything's fully upgraded and you're done so the balance isn't quite there yet from that sort of perspective obviously it's not the intended way to play the game and it's not as fun as playing it normally and also as it is i'm not sure it quite feels finished yet Mm. because your runs end without a climax or a fanfare like it literally just ends with your droid's battery dying no matter what floor you're on which is is always a bit upsetting and pathetic (laughs) pathetic (laughs) there's not really any reason to keep playing after you've upgraded everything because it's not like there's a final floor to try and reach within the 10 minute timer i don't think yeah there's not like a score system either so i I hope that some new content comes at some point because i I, honestly i'll happily just replay the game (laughs) i'll happily buy it a third time I, won't, I mean, I'm not going to buy it a third time, but I will happily play it a, a, yeah. a third time, even if it is just wiping all my da- wiping my save data and, and playing it again, because it yeah. is just just so so good. And actually, I was checking out the itch.io page for the game and saw that the community there have fed back pretty much everything that had occurred yeah. to me that would improve yeah. the game. And Squid God, who's been interacting with that, has said, "Yep, awesome. I'll, I'll factor this into an update. Yep, cool. I'll keep yeah. this in mind." Blah 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 obviously some of the suggestions are just like clearly just have no idea what the play date can do to be like yes uh why aren't there more synergies or oh uh, maybe you could do a split screen co-op <laughs> but then it is nice obviously having seen the development of the game in that youtube video this game is really optimized within an inch of its life to get the game playing as it is yeah so it will be interesting to see uh, how it does develop further but yeah a very very commendable game certainly worth the six seven pounds the the catalog is asking for it even twice to be honest yeah i think it's really fascinating watching his development videos because it really does give you a proper insight into how difficult it can be to problem solve in a creative way a lot of the time to get something very simple that looks to me and you and to everyone else just like well it can't be that hard to make a ladder work and then you watch a development video and it's like the ladders are miserable (laughs) ladders do not function yeah and it's the things that you just take for granted because we played games for a very long time you only ever see the best of games for the most part And when you're working with very small teams and very limited hardware, people are really having to think outside the box as to how to make things function. Mm. And that's really great. I watch all of his stuff, even if they're games I'm not interested in. Yeah. I just really, really do enjoy his style and the way he kind of presents things. And for something like this, I guess the only thing you can say is the more people buy it, 
yeah. the more chance there is of, of ongoing support. Because as we've mentioned a few times, the challenge with the play date, I think, is going to be for developers to make enough money for this stuff to be viable yeah. to go forwards, basically. I'm sure anyone that was lucky enough to be in the proper seasonal output got enough of a check to make that worthwhile to spend mm. X amount of months doing something. But again, you can tell from his videos, the Squid God ones, it's like, I dedicated four weeks of this. That's X amount of hours. That's X amount of time. And often there's kind of a financial breakdown at the end that's like, I made $11. <laughs> and it's, it's mad. Yeah. It's mad. And I think this one has done quite well. Obviously, it's got this billing on the catalogue now as well, which is great for them. And I just really hope that it kind of brings in enough, not only to sustain that game, but to sustain just more development from people like them. I did also decide to dip into a couple of other games on the catalogue, mainly yeah. because of how gosh darn upsettingly satisfying it is to wind the crank <laughs> to make a purchase. Yeah, yeah. It's an extraordinary yeah. sensation. It's potentially very damaging. Fortunately, the catalogue isn't as big as the eShop or something like that, and the games are six or seven quid each, roughly. So even if I get addicted to that and I buy all of them, I'm yeah. probably still only out 100 quid. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I did buy two other games. The first of which is called Word Trip, which is a very... Oh, I bought that. Oh, did you? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, so it's a very simple word puzzle game where you are given two four-letter words and you need to adjust the top word one letter at a time, essentially making other words to turn it into the bottom word. But you have to use three letters from your source word and one letter from your target word each move you can use them in any order so you don't need to just do you know like first second third fourth letter like for like but you do need to do some very very quick thinking to find a path to the target word so you don't go down a dead end because you are playing against the clock but also fortunately you can choose from a number of difficulty settings which dictate how much time you have to make each move and how many lives you have because you can force the board to refresh if you do get totally stuck which then uses up a life it's simple it doesn't do anything specific to the play date but it's a really nice fit because it's a straightforward yeah. fun puzzle game it's well worth the few quid it's asking for certainly in terms of presentation and wow factor i also bought a game on the total other end of the spectrum which is gravity express i haven't played this one but i do know it mm. at its core this game is similar to classic old arcade games lunar lander or gravity force good or something that's a bit more familiar to me is astro lander the outstanding mini game that was hidden inside time splitters 2 oh yeah where you yeah, yeah <laughs> it's where you control a little modules boosters in uh, gravity express you use the crank to turn your little module navigate your way through little mazes in gravity express you aren't simply just getting from a to b across increasingly perilous terrains like you are in astro lander you are in fact trying to pick up and deliver packages that are strewn around the map and in your way are doors that are locked by certain keys that you'll need to go and find other obstacles just looking to twat you up <laughs> like i mentioned about lone fungus last week this is also a game that gives you direct control over every aspect of how the game works to tailor it to your particular needs or wants or desires or whatever really you can choose how many lives you have, you can choose how severe the force of gravity is, how you control the ship, you can either use it turning your crank or by tilting the system, you can change the graphical setup uh, to play it with like a dark background or a light background or even like this glitchy crashed Windows 95 style trippy setup which is obviously horrid. Um, <laughs> great is there though <laughs> why not you know the game also features full motion video cutscenes. i saw this on twitter when it was in development <laughs> I, I don't know if i was following the developer or if it was just retweeted onto my feed yeah and it's one of those times where i was like no <laughs> no <laughs> just, just ridiculous yeah ridiculous. It is, it's, it's absurd obviously they're compressed into a one bit display but it's got full voice acting and well, looks like, you know, sort of like 30 frames per second animation. Yeah. Each level's got several different goals to try and complete uh, from like a standard time attack or to do like a fuel consumption limit or like a no deaths run. It's quite absurd how much content there is in this game, which is why it's a bit of a shame that it quickly becomes quite boring. <laughs> and it's to do with like the core concept of you picking up packages and then delivering them. I'd be up for a series of levels getting progressively harder, but like the more the levels go on, they just become more tedious. 
and they just ask you to keep going back and forth and back and forth delivering cargo rather than having anything more interesting to do and it's annoying and it's boring and it's a real shame because I just don't get excited by beating a level and reaching the next one instead it literally feels like waking up on a Tuesday and having to go to work again <laughs> so I, I can't I, I can't I can't in all honesty fully recommend this game at the moment because I, I've just I don't really find much joy in it but I'm, I'm going to keep it on my playdeck I love the mechanics of the boosting and controlling it I do want basically Astrolander on my playdate that's what I want yeah and this is the closest I've got to that I, I might come back to it obviously I have now invested actual tangible money into it um, less likely to cast it aside than one of the season games yeah so yeah I may try and chip away at it whilst I'm having a poo or two <laughs> we'll see we'll see when we talk about the play date I get really excited about the play date it's weird that of an evening I'm not always in the mood to pick it up and whether that's to play a game I already have or to buy a new mm. game or whatever I, I have to be in a particular mood for the play date and yet when we sit down on these scheduled times to record a show and actually talk about the stuff we've been playing suddenly I'm like it's amazing. It's yeah. my favourite thing I've ever owned. <laughs> and I don't think that's the case, but it feels like it. Mm. There's something about having these conversations and being able to voice stuff. Like I've said a lot of the times, I won't watch a film on my own. Mm. I'll watch something with someone because the biggest joy I get from it is then being able to talk about that film with a person. It's a big part of kind of how I consume a lot of that kind of media. And a lot of games, I don't need to do that to feel like I really enjoy this game and having a nice time. But something about the play date it does have a community aspect. You want to have a play date with someone. Exactly. And maybe that's because we've set up this season like this and it's just how it's kind of you know presenting itself. But I do feel like I enjoy all of these games more as soon as we go, the game is good or the game is bad or the game yeah. is whatever. It's a big part of how I am consuming and enjoying these titles and having access now to the catalogue. I think we should do more to keep each other updated as to what we're buying. Mm. Especially if it's good. So the other one of us can be like, well, I'll buy that now. I'm cranking yeah. as we speak. Yeah. Because it's just more cool stuff to talk yeah. about. Yeah, it so, is. Yeah. It's a play date. 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 Right, I have absolutely talked your ear off with my own personal play date update the last, what, 20 minutes. So, <laughs> Chris, why don't you start? Well, I haven't even said this episode what games we're talking about. We're talking about Battleship Godios and Forest Burns Up in Smoke. Yes. Two games. Chris, my Godios. Tell us about Battleship Godios. <laughs> my Godios. Of all the games presented in the season so far, Battleship Godios has perhaps been the most surprising to me because of all the games, I've done zero research generally. Yeah. Sometimes I'll know a game because I've seen it on Twitter. Sometimes I've known a game because I saw it in like a preview on Eurogamer or something before the console came out. But I did no research at all into Godios. I hadn't even seen a screenshot. I knew nothing about it. And from our off-the-cuff assumptions a few weeks ago that it was going to riff on the grids and loose strategy of Battleships, the board game. You would assume. I... I am pleased to say it's actually nothing like that at all, but rather a horizontal Twitch reaction shoot 'em up that has been paired with Alleyway or Arkanoid in such a way that it's basically an action puzzle game. That's a mouthful, isn't it? That's it, though. <laughs> but I think that's it. At its most basic, you're flying a little ship using the D-pad. You can fire missiles at 45 degree angles down from your ship. And then these missiles will bounce endlessly off enemies or stage architecture or whatever else in the way until they either fly off screen completely and are lost or are collected by your ship again. After a stage or two, you also get a little shield that kind of floats, you know, a few ship lengths in front of your craft. And then if one of the bullets collides with that shield, you'll recollect it as well. So there's a bit of strategy there too. Your missile stock is finite, but you can be awarded more for destroying certain parts of enemy battleships. Your ship is very fragile and will explode on contact with any enemy ship or munition. But on collision, you then have the other sort of twist in that you can crank to rewind your gameplay, Forza Horizon style, <laughs> to approach an encounter a little bit differently, though you do still have to accept the lost life. Now, this is a brutally difficult game, incredibly difficult, built around the expectation that you will fuck up and there will be trial and error. When your lives are spent, it's just game over. You can't restart from the stage. 
You just have to restart the run of levels again. And although you can get more ships by finishing a level perfectly with no missed or lost shots or by finishing a level particularly quickly, there is no way anyone is romping through this game. <laughs> like, no one is getting through this easily, even with a stack of extra lives. On my first few attempts, I failed repeatedly because the weak point of the enemy ships wasn't that explicit and I was just crashing into things. Like, it took a while to even get the hang of how it feels to move about. And even many attempts later, when I've got a better understanding now of what I'm aiming at, how the bullets work, how I'm supposed to get around, there'll still occasionally be times where I'll just duff a life on level one due to the game's being very precise and very unforgiving in its hit detection. In most bullet hell shooters, which admittedly, Battleship Godios is not, but it's still a useful reference point. In those games, your actual hitbox is generally a very small area in the centre of your ship, like just a pixel or so wide. And that means that you can graze across bullets quite safely. As long as they don't hit you right in the core, you can come out unscathed, essentially. But here, it is much more binary, like has any pixel of your ship collided with any pixel of the enemy or their fire? And that contributes to that insanely high difficulty because you're not only avoiding artillery barrages as they come towards you, but also just having to navigate really tight bits of a stage as well. So it's a bit of a maze at times to actually decide the best course of action, the best route to get through a bit of the level. It is a very, very minimalist game. It's got very few bells and whistles. Before you start to play, there's a brief explanation of the main mechanics. Then that is that. And when you play, if you're dead, you're dead. And that is that as well. The developer is someone called TPM.co Softworks. Never heard of them. But they are apparently very famous for pumping out boutique releases for the ancient MSX computer, which is an old Japan-exclusive PC standard that was huge over there, just not over here. And it's where people like Hideo Kojima got their start, like making Metal Gear for the MSX and things like that. So it's got a huge community in a certain region that we do not live in. <laughs> so perhaps people in Japan that are picking up Playdates are picking up this game and going, yes! <laughs> and, and knowing everything about TPM.co softworks. But for yeah. us, I don't have that. But I think because of what they are used to working on, it's likely that a lot of the more particular mechanical choices here probably come as a result of being the product of a group whose bread and butter is ancient limited hardware because it feels more than most games we've played this season to be limited on purpose there's games so far that we've played that make us go wow i cannot believe this is running on this stinky hardware like fmv cutscenes <laughs> but godios is very much the opposite it feels like an old flickering game boy game it's presented even more sparsely than a game boy game because it's got no music it's just got a few blips and bloops for sound effects but the more I played it, I started to really enjoy it. Like, it's a really hard game. I've said this multiple times now. I'm not good at hard games, but it is a learnable game. And the stages are quick enough that you start learning a strategy and then being able to quickly get through a stage with extra lives this time because you've done it better. And then you've got that bit more of a chance to get a little bit further. Enemies will always follow set patterns. Shot paths are very predictable. The way your bullets bounce are very angular, very readable. And basically, once you've seen a stage a few times it's then on you to just do it better until you make progress because things aren't changing. It's just there for you to go, come on, you fucked it up last time, just don't make the same mistake, you'll be fine. But that's not to say that there aren't aspects of this game I think that could be overhauled and improved, even keeping to kind of the minimalist setup. Like the back to the start progression is fine, but why not have one mode that saves your progress and lets you pick and choose from any beaten stage and then one hardcore arcade mode for champions to try and beat in one go? like after sustained practice and play. And why not make the hitbox a bit more forgiving to be a little bit more accommodating the Playdate's tiny screen? Because the ship is small. <laughs> it's on a screen that is small and therefore it's really fucking small. <laughs> and also, why not include at least some form of music or ambient backing <laughs> to make the game just feel a bit less robotic? Yeah. Like we played, uh, it's Omaze, isn't it? Also yeah. had no music. But it was doing enough with kind of the way it was presenting its little beeps to still feel like strangely organic in a way whereas this very much feels like the pc speaker at the back of an old machine just going ah, ah, as you as you play it doesn't yeah. do anything else but i think it's a fascinating experiment as a game like it's another example of a playdate game having a very particular flavor like battleship godios is not going to come out for the switch or the playstation nah. 5 it's unlikely it would even make its way to an open door platform like steam yeah but it makes a weird sort of sense on the play date it's mm. something that to have on there if it kind of tickles your fancy you might come back to it again and again just making little bits of progress you might not if it's kind of a, a bit too difficult 
But equally, it's something that you're not going to find anywhere else and is its own thing. It's its own package. And I just think stuff like that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely hated it. (laughs) Uh, I'll say this coming from a point of of saying I really love the idea. I think the concept of the, the A plus B equals this is brilliant. I think the alleyway starting firing and catching your bullets is like really satisfying yeah i think that the way it's set up i even quite like the fact that there's no music because it makes for such a tense experience yeah when you're just you're so hyper focused on the movement of every pixel you know not that there's many yeah. it's such a different experience it gave me the same fear as those auto scrolling uh, mario 3 levels on the airships yeah, like it's, yeah. It, it felt like that and and you know better than anyone <laughs> what it's like to repeatedly die because oh, God, some yeah. twat decided to make a game that was really difficult yes it was too unforgiving for me yeah i would have really liked it if two things one is yep yeah, saving at the end of a stage so you could just retry yeah the other thing is that if you're able to crank if you die yeah if you're able to crank back if you die because if you don't i found that almost upsetting if i was like i'm about to die so i'm just going to quickly go to the crank and do it and if i don't get it it feels like i've just arrived on the scene of a crash too late and i haven't been able to resuscitate my friend yeah it, it's yeah. just like oh it's just, <laughs> i was so close i was just about to i was just about to and you're dead it was too unforgiving for me yeah there's two other games this has put me in mind of one is called heavy bullets And it's a first-person roguelike on Steam that I played years ago now. But you basically have, like, four bullets in your gun. Every time you fire it, you need to go and collect the bullet to be able to fire it again. So as enemies are popping up around you, you have to be very, very conscious of the shots you've taken, where the biffed shots have gone, because you need to go and find the bullets afterwards. And that's really, really satisfying. Like, as much as you're not collecting them on the sort of bounce, like in Godios... I quite like that idea. That's executed quite well there. And the other thing that makes me think of talking about this idea of having the ability to have a checkpoint after a level, essentially. All of the Jeff Minter games like TXK or Tempest work exactly like that. All of his games these days are essentially you can start from the beginning and go for a big score from the starting point. Or you can say, okay, it will save the progress every time and I'm going to start from level 15. And then you get a flat set of, say, three lives to carry on from there. And I think that sort of system would work really well here as well. So there's kind of elements of this game that have been done in other ways in other places that show there is promise there, but perhaps it hasn't quite been executed as it could have been. Forest burns up in smoke. Yeah. What an oddity of a game in several ways. (laughs) Firstly, it's a game that's been made as an adjacent game, existing in the same world, essentially, as the panic-produced game Firewatch, which is a beautiful hauntingly atmospheric narrative game where you are an isolated fire warden in an american national park forest burns up in smoke is a peppy little action platforming game where you're trying (laughs) to outrun an encroaching forest fire while avoiding traps obstacles and grabbing collectibles forest burns himself is the mascot of the firefighting forest service company that you represent in firewatch yeah he isn't dissimilar to someone like vault boy the mascot that you see in the fallout games yeah and is employed in similarly toned advertising and marketing pieces scattered throughout the firewatch game like i don't quite know what the law is supposed to be connecting firewatch and the forest burns game but it it very much strikes me as an in-world game that maybe your fire warden character would play on your company-owned playdate whilst you're monitoring for forest fires. It's, it's yeah. basically the Pepsi Man of the Firewatch universe. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Naturally. So the premise is bizarre enough, but also the game itself is a strange little thing. Like when you first play the first stage, you're introduced to the standard platforming mechanics that you'll be using. You have a spade you can attack with to like break down trees or dig through dirt to get past those obstacles. You can bounce on it, Scrooge McDuck style, to gain like extra height on your jumps. Then there are little Firewatch symbol emblems to collect. Collecting enough of these will give you a one-up. There are little boy and girl scouts to rescue, either by digging them out of holes or using the crank to hoist them out of a well or freeing them from some brambles. The final collectible is a puzzle piece that will be floating somewhere on the level and collecting these will slowly unlock larger poster collectibles in between levels. When you finish the level, you get a little ranking, depending on how many of the different collectibles you got. And 
then you would assume that you go to level two. But you don't. You go back to the main menu and you start again. And then you realise that these aren't standard levels like you would expect in a platforming game like Mario. But these levels are actually procedurally generated. Yeah. And you'll be facing a different challenge each time. And the way it denotes the challenge itself, that, that also changes. Because the first thing you see when you start a level is a little fire warning gauge that will land on one of four levels of severity, reflecting then the level of the challenge you're about to face, with the higher levels offering more traps, longer levels, but more collectibles as well. And that's basically the game. Like, the only real metric of how you're doing are the individual completion ranks you get when you finish a level, which are totally inconsequential because you'll never <laughs> yeah. play the same level twice yeah. to beat your score. Yeah. There's no bearing on anything else, depending on how well you do. And obviously the long-term progression is just trying to unlock all of the pieces of your poster collection. I think there's 20 pieces to unlock, which means you'll be playing roughly 20 levels to do that if you don't die or miss a puzzle piece. And with the levels being probably less than a minute long, it took me maybe half an hour to 100% it, and I'll now never play it again. Yeah. And, and that's not because it wasn't good, it was fine. I mean, there are better platforming games, even on the play date, that I'll go to to get my platforming kicks. But it's a fun little game while it lasts. The, the platforming mechanics are a little fiddly on the console, which doesn't make for a hugely comfortable experience, but it's absolutely fine. It's obviously easy to see why Panic wanted to include this in the season because of its ties to Firewatch, but... You know, yeah, it's a better game than some of the weaker entries in this season as well. But I just don't understand why they decided to make it a procedurally generated game when they didn't put any other elements in there to make that setup work properly. Like, why didn't they just make a series of design stages getting progressively harder like a normal game? Like, I know that developing a game for the playdate is also an invitation to think outside of the box and think about how to approach making games in a different way and making them different as well. And that seems to be the only reason to do this differently, just simply to do it differently without too much purpose. You've got the procedural generation working. Why not make an endless mode? Or why not offer some sort of permanent upgrades to make repeated plays more interesting? It's just, it's strange. It's a strange little game. And because it would have had a lot more longevity if they'd have made just either designed levels, curated levels, or an endless mode. Instead, it's a real 25-30 minute game and you're done. And it's instantly forgettable, I think. What about you? How did you get on with it? You're a huge Firewatch fan. <laughs> so naturally. <laughs> but you couldn't wait to play this sequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I've not played Celeste yet, as you mentioned earlier today. Mm. But I was genuinely quite surprised at how well a quite traditional platformer worked on the play date. So mm. we'll give it that. Like, the few side-loaded platforms I've played have been a little bit hit or miss. Like, the Squid God developed the King's Dungeon, the simple oh, yeah. Microvania I played a few months back. Felt fine, but it still felt a bit clunky. Like, movement was kind of working around an invisible grid. Another side-load that I haven't mentioned before, because I've only done a level or two, is called Baseball Brat. And that looked mm. the part, but it felt a little like the platform games I remember playing on early Nokia Java phones. You know, very binary, very yes-no movement, no inertia, no real acceleration. And all the things we take for granted in how we move 2D characters just weren't there. Forest, though, feels good. Yeah. Feels nice. Like, it took a stage or two to get used to how to use the DuckTales shovel bounce and dig. Because you need to sort of combine buttons and the D-pad inputs a little awkwardly, as you've mentioned. But once it's all in place, it is a brisk platformer that uses the central hook of the procedurally generated levels to basically serve up a mini platform adventure anytime you've got five minutes spare i guess that's the goal if you're looking at what the design document would say the idea that it's like you want to play a level you want to play two levels they're there they'll be a bit different from last time see how we get on enjoy it (laughs) like would i prefer a more traditional curated set of levels absolutely like you said or a small set of levels plus an endless mode like you've said absolutely but i think There is an intelligence here to solving a problem that a one-bit display makes the usual visual tropes of platformers. Like, you know, take a Sonic game. You've got an ice level, a lush greenery level, a desert level. It's almost impossible to define that on a black and white screen. That's this kind of resolution and this pixel count. So Casual Birder is a good example of a quite varied map 
that at times was still very difficult to navigate because a beach being displayed in white with a few little bits of detail to denote the dunes is not that dissimilar to a forest displayed in white with a few little bits of detail to denote grass. You know, you're going to have that problem. And because Forest Burns doesn't busy itself with presenting different locales and just doubles down on making what is there look detailed and characterful, it's a really polished looking thing. So there is, I think intelligence is the word I want to use. There, there's clearly some thought gone into some of these decisions, even if the overall game is a bit so-so. One thing I did want to note, though, this is the third game of the season, believe it or not, behind Demon Quest and Sasquatches with music by Jared Emerson Johnson, mainly of Telltale fame. Oh, there we go. And strangely, none of his Playdate efforts were logged on his own Wikipedia discography. So I added them to the list. Hey, (laughs) Jared, you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) very good well done you well done you yeah i think it's like i said i've definitely got appreciation for what battleship godios is doing just i found it deeply unenjoyable yeah but i am really really glad actually that you liked it because like i said it's interesting i like what it's doing strange week strange week yeah yeah an odd one odd one penultimate week of the official season we have obviously said that we're going to do a bonus playdate update with the two new free games that came as part of the catalogue but we are going to be covering the last two games of the first official season in our next Playdate update, which are B360, which is Panic-developed game, and Ratcheteer. I'm really looking forward to playing both of those. I think I'm very much looking forward to putting together our official ranking of yeah. this season. Yeah, it's going to be great. Because we, it's going to be we great. love a ranking. It's been months since we've done a ranking. We love just <laughs> ranking each other off, don't we? <laughs> So there we go. That was our latest Playdate update. We uh, reliably updated you on Battleship Godios and Forest Burns up in smoke. Bottom half, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Next week, you are in for a very special treat because we are going to be putting out a bonus episode that I have recorded all about the HBO series of The Last of Us. I thought it'd be really, really good and interesting to delve into what that huge budget video game adaptation was like and how that worked. And because Chris hasn't seen the series, I have a special guest joining me called Lewis Norman. And we had an absolutely fantastic chat all about the series, about the games, about what makes a video game adaptation work. And I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. Then, of course, me and Chris will be back with an interim episode before diving into our Playdate update with B360 and Ratcheteers. Oh, so much, so much good stuff coming. So much good stuff. In the meantime, you can chat to us on social media at O3C Games on everything. Go to our website, O3C.Games, read all of our articles, our think pieces, our reviews. Check out our video content, our streaming content, our back catalogue of amazing podcasts. You can even check out the support page if you want to get more involved with either of us or us as a collective. Or you can reach out to us individually. Chat to us. I'm on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And we'll see you next week. 